I really wish I could take your class, Professor Kepler. This is how my class is too. <laughs> it's just like, like, do I know what I'm saying? What am I saying? <laughs> Welcome everyone to Cheap Talk, the IR podcast. My name is Jeff Kaplow. I'm an assistant professor of government at William and Mary, and joining me, as always, is my esteemed colleague Marcus Holmes. Welcome, Marcus. Thank you very much, Jeff. Thanks for having me. I just want to—I I want to ask you one question that my students ask me all the time. I'd be curious to get your thoughts on. Yeah, do it. Okay. You know, one of the questions that I get a lot uh, from my students is why Kenneth Waltz is wrong. One of the things that he—he he sort of uh, alludes to in one of his pieces, or actually doesn't allude to, but sort of basically makes the argument that that proliferation is not the end of the world, right? That you know, at the end of the day, if if we take this idea of deterrence seriously, uh, as many people do. Then if I know that, you know, if you hit me with a nuclear weapon that, that you know, you're going to hit me back, then that likely prevents states from uh, engaging in nuclear war. And so the idea that two states would have nuclear weapons is actually not the worst outcome. Like we maybe shouldn't be giving out nuclear weapons like they're candy, you know, uh, on the street corner or something like that. But if you happen to have a situation where, uh, you know, states are, are having nuclear weapons, um, it's not the end of the world. And you also see this argument pop up with other realists, right? So John Mearsheimer, you know, has talked about how Ukraine giving up nuclear weapons in hindsight was probably a bad idea. You know, maybe maybe Russia doesn't go in and, and take Crimea if they, they have nuclear weapons. You know, so so I think there are some instances that, that people can point to historically and say, hey, look, you know, if they this state had a nuclear weapon, they might be better off. Uh, they don't get invaded. They don't have the same same conflict. And furthermore, you know, if if the, the problem with uh, proliferation is that states are more likely to use nuclear weapons or we're going to see some type of nuclear use or there's an accident or, or something along those lines. It hasn't happened, you know, so uh, we could we could be concerned about those things. But the fact that, you know, no no nuke has gone off sort of by accident or, or by a terrorist group that got control of it or something like that, um, you know, hasn't really panned out. If you believe that uh, there is a taboo um, against the use of nuclear weapons, then in a weird way, nuclear weapons become sort of less relevant, right? I mean, it's sort of like we shouldn't be so concerned. If if states have nuclear weapons, that's fine; they have them because, but doesn't they're not going to use them. So I'd be curious to get your take as somebody who's an expert in in nonproliferation. You know what what the sort of proper response is to that argument. Now, these people should take my class, uh, where we spend months months on this question. But the argument that um, more is better, the, the, the kind of Waltzian approach here of, you know, the world would be better off if we gave nuclear weapons to a bunch of countries. That's not predicated on any idea of a, a taboo, right, or a norm of non-use. What, what that's the basis of that argument is that nuclear weapons are useful and are relevant and that the giving them to countries is going to create stability because those countries can now more credibly threaten other countries. And so no one will invade anyone else because they all have nuclear weapons. So this is really a kind of even more of a, repu a repudiation of the taboo idea, because for, for Walsh to be right, it's not so much that you give them nuclear weapons and it doesn't matter because there's a taboo that will prevent them from using nuclear weapons. It's more you give them nuclear weapons and it allows them to better defend themselves and therefore no one is willing to attack them. And so we have less attacking generally. This is one of these ideas that um, maybe seems appealing to academics or students um, who are just reading about it in a book, but that when you, when you go into the National Security Council and you propose this idea, yes, let's give nuclear weapons to Iran because we're having a conflict with them and that would, that would create a kind of strategic deterrence between the two countries and we would no longer have any risk of conflict breaking out because they will be able to deter us, we will be able to deter them. This is not something you, could, you can actually do. Like, don't, don't say that to the, to the president or the national security advisor. Because, you know, if, you, if somebody is kind of seems threatening to you and you're like, you know, the solution to that is to give them a really big gun 
I mean, that that's just not that's the kind of thing that maybe sounds good on paper, but but in reality is not something you would follow through on. And I think um, there are a variety of reasons why this is a bad idea. I think, you know, so Scott Sagan has a kind of ongoing debate with with Ken Waltz on this issue. And now I'm now remembering who Waltz is. You know, I think his arguments are largely around the idea that there is some non-zero risk of nuclear use of nuclear accident an accident in terms of either unintentional use or of um, a strategic interaction that gets out of control and leads to leads to a risk of nuclear use in war. And so because there's that non-zero risk, um, we should probably kind of tamp down on the number of countries that have these things. There have, in fact, been many, many nuclear accidents, although there haven't been nuclear explosions because of nuclear accidents. But there have been, you know, we've lost nuclear weapons all over the place. We have... Uh, um, had a near near explosion. There there have been so many, right? So it really is uh, the kind of thing where once you look at the U.S. the record of U.S. control of its nuclear weapons, it's absolutely terrifying. There's a great book by Eric Schlosser called Command and Control that kind of goes through the the so many ways that the U.S. Uh, nuclear apparatus has failed to safeguard its nuclear weapons. And then you think, well, what if we gave these nuclear weapons to some other country that didn't want to spend trillions of dollars protecting them and keeping them safe? And now we have a real problem. So I think there is there is this argument, I think is quite compelling, that um, the more of these things that are out there, the more likely it is that one of them get, gets used, even if it wasn't intentional. I think I think that's right. I mean, and how would you respond, though, to the idea that this, there are limited instances where having a nuclear weapon is actually better uh, for stability and might, might prevent war? So if we take Ukraine, for example, I mean, if, you, if Ukraine had nuclear weapons, do we see Russia doing the same types of things with them? I think if Ukraine had nuclear weapons, there'd be a real risk of nuclear war with, with, with Ukraine, uh, between Ukraine and, and Russia. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that means there's a risk of nuclear escalation that leads to nuclear use. Now, I, I think there's the, the risk, there's always this risk of nuclear escalation. Now, if you're in Ukraine now dealing with Russia, sure, you might want nuclear weapons, right? But from the perspective of someone who doesn't want to see a nuclear war in the world, it would be better if, if Ukraine didn't have them, even if that means that they have to lose Crimea. Um, and so it's a uh, it's one of these things like, yeah, it's easy for me to say I'm not in Ukraine. I'm not running policy for Ukraine. Yeah, Ukraine shouldn't have nuclear weapons because if they don't have them, there's no risk of a nuclear war over Crimea. And if they do have them, there is some risk, even if it's quite small. But if you're from the perspective of someone who could benefit from the security that nuclear weapons provide, then sure, you know, I always want to have nuclear weapons. That's why I've got a few squirreled away just for my own personal use, just in case things things go bad. Wait, did I say I won't, I won't my internal monologue? I won't, yeah, I'm gonna, I won't report you. I'm going to edit that out. Yeah. Don't, worry, don't worry. But So, right. And, and this actually gets to something I, I've always wanted to ask you too, which is that there's uh, that sort of, it's not, it's not sort of like a hypocritical position, but there is a sense with the non-proliferation idea that, you know, the United States and other, other uh, countries with nuclear weapons can say to other states who are, might be in very precarious security situations, oh, you know, I know we have them, uh, but we really don't want you to have them, right? Because if you guys have them, that would be bad, but we need them for our, our security. And as we just talked about a few minutes ago, we, we take great aim and, and strides to make sure that we have a very robust nuclear arsenal. It's very sophisticated and this and that. Um, so I guess the question is, where do, where do these countries get off telling other countries they can't have nuclear weapons? Yeah, I mean, that's not, that's not hypocritical. That's just good business, man. I mean, we... <laughs> I mean, what... <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know. This, this question is so foreign to me. I don't even know how to respond to it. So you're saying the U.S. should behave not in its own self-interest, but in the interests of 
kind of gl- global security. Yeah. Wh- wh- so as a, no, come on, that's that's crazy talk. All right, now now this is getting now this is getting good. So as as a global hegemon, right? We I think we we might agree the United States. Uh, I mean, whether we're the hegemon or not, let's let's assume we are for a second. Um, we'll go back ten years. Yeah, go back to the, yeah the nineteen nineties or whatever. So we. Uh, don't we have an interest in global security? I mean, we have an interest in the in the world not blowing up. We have an interest in, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. But the, our our interest in global security is is supported by us having nuclear weapons, at least from our point of view. So there's an argument to be made that the U.S. having nuclear weapons is somehow bad for global security because it says it legitimizes nuclear weapons in some way, and it makes it so that other countries might feel like they need nuclear weapons too. Right. Now, the 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 extent to which that's really played out in the world over the last seventy years. You know, we have nine nuclear weapon states. That's not a lot. And then this is another enduring puzzle in international relations. Why don't we have more countries than nuclear weapons? And so one of the arguments you can make here is that uh, the U.S. and other countries that do have them provide kind of this example that spurs proliferation. But that isn't really how it's played out. We have been able to keep a lid on proliferation and still make the argument that we, the United States, can hang on to our nuclear weapons while supporting global security more generally. And with that, <laughs> can I just say one, let me let me say one other. I, I want to make two other points. So so getting back to the Kenneth Waltz thing, which uh, I think you did a nice job of explaining why that might be a terrible idea. But the other thing, just to to think about, um, and I and I use this with my students too, is that his theory, sort of internal to the theory, is this idea, right, that bipolar distributions of power are relatively stable, unipolar distributions of power are sort of transient; they don't last very long. But he thinks that multipolar distributions of power are very uh, precarious, right, and very dangerous. Well, it strikes me that if you go around giving states nuclear weapons, or at the very least, like, don't have a, a, a sort of norm against the proliferation of nuclear weapons, all you're doing is, is increasing the chances he had a multipolar order, which to his, his own sort of theory would be, would be problematic. And so I think you could also critique his position based on, you know, his own, his own analysis of, of other I stopped areas. listening when you said multipolar. So I don't think I adequately answered the question of, should we give up nuclear weapons as a gesture in support of international security generally. You, you said that the U.S. is hypocritical as if that's like not how how we should be. I, like, help me understand where were you going with this this question of right? where do we get off having nuclear weapons and telling everyone that they shouldn't? So I guess one one question I would have, Jeff, is, you know, the United States developed nuclear weapons because it had uh, I mean, there's a number of different reasons why it did this, but it, it had a perceived security threat, right? It was an engaged war, and it wanted to, to win the war. And so the argument at the time was, you know, we need weapons that are, are going to help us to win this war and, 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 you know, have our security. And it's striking when it comes to nonproliferation arguments that, that sometimes you, you see states in similar positions, which is they say, you know, we have legitimate security concerns where uh, a nuclear weapon might help us and, and avoid sort of problems uh, with another country or, or problems in the region. Um, and the, the stance of the United States, but also other countries that are uh, in the NPT and, and sort of, you know, uh, advocate for nonproliferation, it seems to me are, you know, you as the country that doesn't have nuclear weapons, you don't want them, you don't need them. And indeed, it's better for the international system if you do not have them. Um, which is a, which is a fine position to hold, but the United States does have those weapons, and so oftentimes I I, I look at this and I say, well, you know, the United States is in a, a very easy position to make that argument that we well we have something you know you can't have it because that'd be bad, but we 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 have ours and we're not going to give up ours and, and all that kind of stuff, right? So I I would just be curious to know what you think about um, sort of the idea that in a limited way 
you know, it might be the case that some countries look at the United States and other countries with nuclear weapons and say, you know, this is a this is a, a sort of have and have not situation. Our position actually would be better if we were allowed to have nuclear weapons or if we had nuclear weapons. And it's it's the haves that are telling us that we can't. Um, and you might use an example like Ukraine with their their situation with Russia to to make that point. Yeah, and that absolutely is the situation, right? And so the the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty kind of enshrines that situation in international law and says, okay, the five countries that had nuclear weapons as of, you know, 1967, uh, so the U.S., China, uh, U.K., France, and and Russia are allowed under the Nuclear Non-Proliferation Treaty to have nuclear weapons, although they commit to working toward a world free of nuclear weapons, while other countries... Uh, cannot get them uh, under under the non-proliferation treaty, um, and of course some other countries have abstained from the non-proliferation treaty and have gotten them, have gotten nuclear weapons. And one country has left the nuclear non-proliferation treaty to acquire weapons. That's North Korea. But for the most part, the non-nuclear weapon states signatories to the nuclear non-proliferation treaty have abided by this idea. Um, that they were not going to get nuclear weapons. And now you might ask, well, why would anyone sign on to such a one-sided agreement that creates a world of haves and have-nots? And they had to, all the countries that signed made a decision that was in their, it was in their own strategic interest to, to sign on to that agreement. Now, why would they do that? One reason is that the U.S. and its allies and even the Soviet Union at the time offered some incentives for countries to join. And these were, you know, maybe security guarantees around the use of nuclear weapons. So um, some there, was, there were some commitments made, um, although these were a little bit vague, that countries wouldn't use nuclear weapons against non-nuclear weapon state signatories in the MPT. Um, there's a kind of a, there was a big discussion around, around this at the time of the signing of the MPT. Um, there's some scholarship that suggests there were arms deals that were made um, of conventional arms as kind of a way to compensate countries for, for joining. There was good old-fashioned diplomatic pressure put on various countries to join. But I think the main thing is that fundamentally, the countries who are non-nuclear weapon states at the time they sign are, are have to weigh the world as it is uh, and, and make their decision. And it, since they have no power to roll the United States back from its nuclear weapons or to say, OK, these other countries that have nuclear weapons, you'll no longer have them. That is not something that it's in Belgium's power to make happen. Right. They have no ability to do that. And so Belgium has to ask itself, OK, given the world that we have today, do I want to sign on to an agreement that will help prevent other countries from getting nuclear weapons in the future? And that calculus is, yes, they do. The benefits outweigh the costs. And so whether or not it's fair or equitable, I mean, you know, these are, these are hard terms in, in, uh, in international security, at least for me. It's kind of beside the point. If Belgium can't take nu- U.S. nuclear weapons away, right? So they have to make a decision. All right, this is, this is the situation as we have it. Do we want to try to support this treaty that's going to prevent a potential future adversary from getting nuclear weapons? Or do we not want to support the treaty, making it maybe more likely in the long run that other countries acquire nuclear weapons? And we've still got the U.S. and the Soviet Union and all these countries that have that already have weapons. They still have them. Right. It doesn't change that. So I think that this is just a a kind of basic cost benefit analysis that these countries are going through and saying, all right, well, this is the best we can do under the situation. We got these countries to kind of band together and agree to this. Let's push forward. Um, And I think that's whether it's hypocritical or not. That's just kind of the way the way it is. Do you think there's any role that uh, identity or norms play in, in nonproliferation so that some states might say, OK, I think that there's uh, a group of states that are acting reasonable. 
and these states are uh, giving up their nuclear weapons or at least saying we're not going to pursue them. And I want to be part of that group. I want to be looked at as a successful state that's a good actor in the international system. And so I, I, I want to identify with that group. And so that might be one of the drivers for, for why they might uh, be part of this. Do you, do you see any um, in your work, any sort of credence to that argument? No. All right. So next time we're going to talk about. I mean, so there, there is some discussion of this. So, um, you know, some of the countries that we now think of as kind of the best nonproliferation citizens started off considering nuclear weapons. So you think about, for example, Sweden and uh, some of the Swedish diplomats played a significant role in the early days of nonproliferation at the same time as Sweden is kind of making the decision, do we go forward with our nuclear weapons program or, or not? And so I, I think it really isn't about the norm of being seen as like a good citizen. I think it's a strategic calculus that as soon as Sweden decides, okay, we're not going to have a nuclear weapon going forward. It just isn't our best interest to do that. Well, now we have a really strong interest in making sure that no one else gets nuclear weapons. And so Swedish diplomats did a great job kind of supporting this this uh, treaty and and moving the world forward toward a nonproliferation regime that actually serves the interests of a country that has decided it itself does not want nuclear weapons. And you can actually see this debate going on in some of these countries. Australia, for example, is very, um, there, there have been some great declassified documents about the Australian decision not to pursue nuclear weapons and to sign on to the Nuclear Nonproliferation Treaty. And they were very explicit that if we're going to sign this thing, we've got to make this thing strong. We want this thing to be as strong as we can if we're going to sign on to it, because we're giving up our right to weapons under this treaty. And so we want to make sure that others also abide by this, by this treaty. I just want to point out for our listeners that this is the most animated I've ever seen Professor Kaplow. <laughs> ah, the idea of norms, it makes me angry. It makes me angry. This, is, this has been a high energy uh, performance from Professor Kaplow. Okay, well, I feel like we've covered a lot today. I think we, we've, we've said it all, as they say. All right, well, um, Marcus, thanks so much for joining me today. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeff. And uh, thanks, everyone. We'll, we'll see you next time. I mean, I, I don't want to like screw up your your class schedule. No, 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 I mean, no, no, I, no. That's fine. None of this has any relationship with what I'm doing. <laughs> so I, like, I'm sensing a common theme here. That all the stuff we talk about is just like completely. Wait, why, who, who put you in charge of the topics? Of, <laughs> that's, that's, it's like outside of your syllabus. It's a totally different. Why are class. we talking this week? Is, next week is South China Sea Week. Why are we talking about that? <laughs> Do you know about maritime security? Come on, man. Oh man. Fake islands. It's uh, it's, uh, it's very exciting. Yeah, like they, they don't they like they they make them with like imported sand or whatever. The, yeah, it's awesome. They're like building islands where none yeah, existed, yeah, yeah, so yeah. they can put some guns there. Oh god. Yeah, talk to me about norms now, Marcus. <laughs> norms over sand use in the uh, yeah. in the ocean. We could talk about maritime law. I'm, I'm sort of interested in it. <laughs> <laughs> you just turned this into the you just turned an exciting situation into the most boring, boring possible. That's the most boring possible take on the South China Sea crisis, my friend. Let's talk about maritime law. Oh, this is good. This has been fun.